it's a drop in blood pressure. You start feeling dizzy, hear rushing in your ears, and then you get this tunnel vision and you just start losing consciousness. If you become familiar with it, which I'm very familiar with it, you know when it's happening. And part of the problem is, is that when the symptoms start, you panic because the symptoms are starting. There's also a huge embarrassment component of it. So you start it feeling coming on, but you try and pretend it's not happening. If you are not in a place where people know about it, so if you're giving blood and you do this, they know what it is. But if you happen to be in a, <laughs> if you happen to be, say, at a fundraiser down the street from your house talking to your friend about his broken shoulder and you lose consciousness, people freak out. And then it causes all sorts of further embarrassment. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and other big feelings. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a fluster clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way, and I'll even tell you what to say. So, Lynn, last week at the end of the session, we started talking about the vasovagal response. Yes. Which we're going to talk more about today, but also registration for our teen retreat is live now, which is April 9th in Woodstock, Vermont. And the list of potential workshop topics are there too. But what do you think are the learning objectives for families who attend this? And just to be clear, you can come by yourself as a parent or you can bring your teen so you don't have to bring your teen, but teens, we are encouraging people to bring their teens. It's really to help talk about a few things. One is how is anxiety running your family and what do you need to know? So there's going to be a lot of concrete information about the do's and don'ts and that kind of stuff. And then we're really going to talk about pretty specific things related to teens. So the impact of social media, I know that a lot of parents who have anxious teens are worrying about how they're going to get these kids to launch. What are the things that you need to talk about and think about as your child is getting ready to graduate from high school, even thinking about that if they're in ninth and 10th grade? Oh gosh, how am I going to get this kid to go on to the next stage in life? So very specific about the developmental things that teens who are anxious are dealing with. And knowing that if you've got an anxious teen, chances are that you've been dealing with this for a really long time. And there may be some information that you've never gotten, and I'm going to give it to you. As a parent of a teen myself, and I hear about how other friends of mine, their kids are doing in this pandemic, why I care so much about this, even if my kid's anxiety seems to be in a manageable place, she has friends whose aren't. Mm -hmm. I make my daughter listen to this stuff and we talk about everything because all the things you're describing in families that are struggling with this commonly appear in many people right now. Like you show up at college freshman year and you've got a dorm mate, a roommate who's got very severe anxiety and depression. Like I think we have to be ahead of this thing, mm -hmm. even if it's not so much within the family. Yeah. So prevention is my game. And how do we recognize this thing? How do we understand it? In a lot of ways, how do we normalize it? That's one of the things that I talk about a lot with teenagers is that there's a lot of pathologizing right now of normal developmental stages and struggles. So yeah, prevention, understanding it, not letting this thing take hold, not letting it take over your family, all of those things. 
Say you're a parent and you know yourself that you're anxious and you really want to make sure you're interrupting your patterns. This would be a good place for you to to learn the language to use so that you don't unknowingly, inadvertently show your kids how to be anxious. If the rates of anxiety and depression that were already on an upswing became even a steeper curve because of the pandemic, and depression can be very contagious Mm -hmm. among teens or adults, I think it's more critical to arm your kids with this preventative strategy than ever before. They're going to encounter this regularly now. Yes, yes, they're going to encounter it regularly. We know that anxiety and depression hang out together a lot. They really show up together. So if anxiety is sort of showing its face early on and going through elementary school and middle school, in high school, very likely that the anxiety is then going to join with the depression. So we see the combination of anxiety and depression in teenagers and young adults. And you're right, your kids are going to run into it. It really is just so important that you have accurate information about it. Because there's a lot of misinformation out there, a lot of misinformation. It's important that they know the real deal with this thing. So, Lynn, last week we talked about vasovagaline. And and in our family, it is a verb. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think we should just acknowledge, like, it's not really a verb to a lot of people. I think it's great for us to unpack this because your family's not the only ones at all dealing with this. So why don't you give us a little bit of an intro about what a vasovagal response is? Okay. This is what many people have, and it's what happens when you pass out. So a lot of people have it when they see blood or you know they're going to get a shot. People can have it in other situations that aren't necessarily medically related. So you can have it when you get really anxious about speaking in public. You can have it after you exercise and you feel a little nauseous. There are a lot of reasons that people have these responses. It's most commonly associated with like squeamishness. People who work in the medical field are familiar with people having this response. As we mentioned in the last episode, you have this. Mm -hmm. Your father has this. Mm -hmm. My husband has this. Mm -hmm. And our sister, my sister has this. Oh, I didn't. Okay. I have, she, she might not have done this recently, right? I don't know when she's passed out, but she is super, super squeamish. Yeah. And she's listening to us on her walk going, great. Thanks for the shout out. (laughs) Hey, hey, big sister. Yeah. She was working for the Vermont teddy bear company long, long ago. She was a, a young salesperson. And she had to go into hospital gift shops in order to give the teddy bears. She couldn't do it because even just on the way to the hospital, when she saw the hospital sign, she had to like pull over and get herself together. So yeah, so we're bad. We do this. And my older son has it. But very minorly, let me say this, because I recognized it immediately and we got right on it. And so my older son, who showed signs of this, who did this when he was in fourth grade, as a college student, shadowed an eye surgeon and a brain surgeon and was in an operating room watching cataract surgery and watching brain surgery. That's just a little optimism that if you know what this is and you can figure out how to manage it, it doesn't take over your life. If you don't know what it is and you don't know how to manage it, it can really take over your life. My husband has a history of this very much within the medical context of things. Mm -hmm. And I had seen him do it at our house. And he told me he was about to do it. And I had heard that he does it. 
So (laughs) it was like a Sunday morning. It was before kids. And he's like, I think I'm going to faint. So he gets out (laughs) of bed. And as he leaves our room, so I hear this. So then I come around and he's passed out on the living room Wait, you heard a what? Like a thump. Oh, oh, it sounded like you made a fart noise. So I was like, wait, he farted right before he passed out? (laughs) That's a new, I can see how that would happen, but I've never heard him do that before. So you heard a thud. I heard a thud and then I saw him do it and I sort of knew he would do it because he told me. Yeah. So here's the thing for parents and partners of people who do this. My husband had a pretty standard medical procedure a couple years ago and came out of general anesthesia. And then while he was in recovery and everything was going fine, his blood pressure dropped so low that the way he was set up to the equipment, they could no longer detect a pulse. Mm -hmm. So they called a code blue. Mm -hmm. The whole hospital floor is responding to his potentially fatal situation. Right. They think he's having a cardiac arrest. And that he's dying. Yeah. So last week in this session, the mom and the daughter had to endure hours not really understanding what was going on. Mm Mm-hmm. My situation happened where it was more like a a really bad 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then he came to, and I remember talking to you. And here's where it gets kind of interesting to figure out if you're a family with this. Mm -hmm. So his blood pressure dropped so low that the EKG or whatever, the cardiogram reader couldn't detect it because it wasn't completely set up on him. So they over responded. Mm -hmm. I had mentioned to them that this could be a possibility but they will always treat the fainting as a physiological issue that's potentially cardiac over it being a psychological issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so my husband tried to have a procedure this week and I told them what happened and they were like, he has to do this procedure in the hospital, not here. So that if this happens, we have the equipment and everything should he need it. And I was like, but you're approaching this as if he does have a cardiac vulnerability. And that's not what we're talking about here. And I looked at this really amazing, compassionate doctor. Mm -hmm. It didn't compute with him. He comes from this from a different medical model. So it became a challenge where I realized, like, I can't, like, uh, do you know who my sister-in-law is? (laughs) (laughs) She really knows about this stuff. So it's just a really interesting way to think about how we set ourselves up for these medical procedures or a medical environment, knowing that it's prone to happen. Mm -hmm. And my husband, just like you or your son, has gotten much better. And he said this week when he was in this procedure and he was waiting for it, he said the second he started feeling it coming on, he would acknowledge it and say, go away, please, go away, Mm. please. So Mm. he was great. So like you can really, once you understand it, work through it. Right. I mean, I've passed out in the last 23 years, I've passed out three times. It doesn't mean that there haven't been some close calls. There've been some pretty close calls, but I know what it is. And so I don't panic about it. And people around me don't panic about it. Bones are the things that still get me. And I don't know why it's bones, blood and all that kind of stuff doesn't get me at all. But anybody talking about It's not even seeing a broken bone because you can't really see it unless it's a compound fracture, but just talking about it. So what I know about myself is that when somebody starts talking about bones or I start thinking about bones, I will get this initial rush, but I'm so familiar with it. Then I can say, oh, there's that thing. There's that thing that I do. 
The problem is, is that I've been in medical settings where it's happened. If you learn about it and if you know about it and if you let people know that you do it, then for the most part, they understand it. They recognize it. But it's sort of what he ran into when he was having that procedure in the hospital. People really freak out about it. They overreact about it. They overtreat it. And a lot of people just don't have the language or the terminology or the understanding of it. And it sort of takes on a life of its own. So then it becomes something that you're trying to avoid all the time, which is just the same with all the other anxiety disorders, is that, you know, if you have a panic attack, then you're trying to avoid having other panic attacks. If you have this vasovagal response, if you have this fainting thing, then you start trying to live your life to avoid possible incidents because they're embarrassing, because you feel out of control, because it really is not pleasant, but it takes over your life because as all of these things do, they take over more territory. Just like if you're afraid of throwing up, it takes over more territory. So this is one of those things that happens. Lumen is the world's first handheld metabolic coach. It's a device that measures your metabolism through your breath. And on the app, it lets you know if you are burning fat or carbs, and it gives you a tailored guidance to improve your nutrition, workouts, sleep, and even stress management. So how Lumen works is that you breathe into the Lumen device first thing in the morning, and you'll know what's going on with your metabolism, whether you're burning mostly fat or carbs. And then Lumen gives you a personalized nutrition plan for that day based on your measurements. You can also breathe into it before and after workouts and meals, so you know exactly what's going on in your body in real time. And Lumen will give you tips to keep you on top of your health game. I love the extra data that I'm getting about my health right now. Because for many women of my age, as we are going through a long chapter of hormone changes, Lumen's helping me use my body's data to make the best choices. So your metabolism is your body's engine. It's how your body turns the food you eat into the fuel that keeps you going. And because your metabolism is at the center of everything your body does, optimal metabolic health translates to a bunch of benefits, including easier weight management, improved energy levels, and better sleep, which is key. So Lumen gives you recommendations to improve your metabolic health. So what is metabolic flexibility and why should you care? Well, the key to metabolic health is something called metabolic flexibility. We love flexibility at Fluster Clucks, and that's where Lumen really shines. It refers to your body's ability to efficiently switch between using different fuel sources like carbs and fats, and there are preferred times to use each, and how well you can switch places you on the metabolic flexibility spectrum. So after getting to know you through your breath, Lumen gives you a metabolic flex score that you can track and improve upon. So if you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fluster to get $100 off Lumen. That's L-U-M-E-N-D-O-T-M-E. And use Fluster at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Picture the thing that you've always wanted to learn, and now picture that you're learning it from the person who's literally the best in the world at it. It's fantastic, and that's what you get with Masterclass. I recently listened to Matthew Walker's talk on sleep and the importance of consistency with sleep. I loved Bobby Brown's Masterclass, gave me all these tips about putting on makeup because, you know, I'm in front of a camera sometimes and I want to look good, and Bobby was such a big help. So. This year, learn from the best 
to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Like I actually put on makeup the way that Bobby Brown taught me how to put on makeup. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Masterclass offers over 180 instructors. So whether you want to master negotiation with Chris Voss, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe you want to learn how to just make your makeup look better with Bobby Brown or sleep better with Matthew Walker, with Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. I loved it. There are over 200 classes to pick from. New classes are added every single month, like a class that talks about your gut health. So many interesting things to learn. So every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's absolutely no risk. Right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash Fluster. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash fluster. Masterclass.com slash fluster. I have two questions that I've been thinking about after this week. One is if you're coming out of general or even partial anesthesia, I'm wondering if that amygdala power is going to fire up first and come to after you've been unconscious and your prefrontal cortex that can say, okay, go away, go away, go away, is not going to be as fired up and as sharp as quickly. And that's actually why my husband did that the other time. Well, and also this has a lot to do with the vasovagal nerve. There's that component to it too. I honestly have just been learning about this myself in the last several years because nobody ever explained it to me either. So I don't know the answer to that question. I think that what I can say is that when it starts to come on, the more sort of aware and the more conscious and the more familiar, the more deliberate you are about recognizing it, the better it goes. The more sort of confused or overwhelmed or freaked out that you get, the worse it goes. So I would imagine if you're coming out of anesthesia, that's a pretty confusing time for your brain and your body. Right. So I would imagine that you would be kind of susceptible to it for sure. Exactly. So I think that that's why I sort of brought it up because for families who, if they do have anesthesia, it's a way to front load the conversation. Mm -hmm. But the second thing I just want to ask too is, obviously within the family, I know how content driven it is. Mm -hmm. Like I know the specific types of content that set my husband off. And you say yours is bones. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So like like there's a vulnerability around content that can set it off. Yeah. But clearly, is this a genetic thing that you all have or is this a modeled thing that you all have? Well, and that is such an interesting question because a few years ago, I did some research on this. You know me. I mean, there are certain things that have a genetic push. There are certain things that are heritable. But my whole thing, when I'm talking about anxiety and depression, I really focus on the social components and the family components and the systems components. But I was sure this is a genetic thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a genetic thing. So I looked it up and it's a little bit genetic. (laughs) And a lot modeled. It could be 50-50, but I was sure that it was 99.9% genetic. How could this not be genetic? So I started thinking about, well, how is it modeled? And then I started thinking about my son. And when I think about it being genetic, 
certainly we have the susceptibility to it. But when I think about my dad modeling it for us, that was a huge component too. If my dad was an orthopedic surgeon or an EMT, and the conversation at the dinner table was about like, oh, I replaced this hip today, or you should have seen what happened at this car accident, it would have normalized that stuff for us. We learned pretty early on that when something happened to us, when there was an injury or blood or hospital, that my dad was going to check out. Like you could see it happening. Here's what I think. I think you have a susceptibility to it. And I think when it starts to happen, that if somebody around you knows what's happening, can give you the information, and then can help you learn how to manage it, I think you can really get off that track. But if the people around you either do it or don't know what's happening or you see it happening in your family, I think it just gets more cemented. I remember the first time my brother did it. He might remember it too. Oh, that wasn't when you went to steal magnolias? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was well down the road. Yeah, that was so funny. The thing about my brother is that he is such a funny storyteller. He is. His stories about this stuff are just the best. No, uh, he cut his finger on a little metal police car and his finger started to bleed. And he probably was like five or six. I wonder if he remembers that. Yeah, but when my son first did it, he had just gone into a new elementary school and I got a call from the school because he had had one of these vasovagal episodes and they called and they at wanted me to come to the school and they wanted me to have a meeting. I mean, they were like not messing around. They wanted me to come to the school in person. They wanted me to have a meeting with the principal, his teacher, the guidance counselor, and the school nurse because they thought that I had lied on the medical information form. And they thought that I hadn't disclosed that he was a diabetic or that he had a seizure disorder. And so as soon as they described what had happened, I was like, oh, yeah, no. I know exactly what's going on. And that was the first time that I sort of was like, oh, crap, we've got another one. But that was fourth grade. And I talked to him about it. We learned about it. I gave him the things that I do to help me about it. He's passed out maybe four times. And he's got funny stories about it, too. But he's been in operating rooms, watching eye surgery, watching brain surgery, he handles it so much differently than all of us in our family handled it because I got on it early and I knew what it was. There are things you can do and ways that you can manage it. You just got to let people know that you do it. So if you go to give blood or you're in a medical situation and that's the thing that gets you, just let people know you do it if you're not good at controlling it. But it really is helpful because it's the overreaction to it that makes this thing so unwieldy just like happened in the episode we were talking about with Becky. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I passed out at the fundraiser down the street, of course, they're like, who's a doctor? Who's a doctor? And so there was somebody there that was an emergency room doctor who I knew, actually. And he was like, do you think we need to go to the hospital? Do you think we need to do anything about this? Is there something we need to do? And I was like, I know exactly what this is. Like, the only thing I need to do is go home. That's what I need to do. I would just tweak what you do by saying, I know exactly what this is, isn't the most helpful sentence to others. <laughs> you should say, I have a fainting habit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm glad you know what this is. Is it a heart attack? Yeah. Give them a little more information so that they'll back off and just say, I faint a lot. Yeah. I'm a fainter. 
vasovagal syncope is what it's called. Okay, Lynn, so a lot of people listening might actually have a kid who faints mm-hmm. or they have done this and they're now having some aha moments. Mm-hmm. What do parents need to know about preventing and helping when this stuff shows up? Okay, there's a few things. Let me just give you a few like logistical tips that help. So if you're going into a situation where you know that this could happen, like say you have to go give blood or say you have to go get a shot. For me, it was medical stuff. So you know that that's going to happen. There's a few things that you can do just to sort of help things along. One is that hydration is really important. And the reason is because remember, this is a blood pressure drop. The more volume you have going through your system, the better off you are. And I'm telling you right now, these are things that nobody ever told me. These are things that I learned very late in life. So just so you know. So hydration is helpful. The other thing that's helpful is that if you start feeling it come on and you can teach your kids this and you can do this yourself, because it's a blood pressure drop, one of the things that you can do, right, if you begin to feel it coming on is to tense all your muscles as if you are pushing out a baby or a big giant poop. Just like tense all your muscles. Do like a like that and just get everything tight because it gives a little surge of blood to your brain, which is where we want the blood to go. So those are two just very logistical things to do. The other thing, and this is not something that I can completely explain in the context of this podcast, and it sort of ties into all the other things that we talk about, is that you want to change your reaction to the first symptoms that you have. One of the first things that you can do is that you really want to slow down things. And I've talked about using the heavy hand in the past. I focus on creating a sense of gravity in my hand. I put my hand in my lap and I focus on making my hand feel heavy. Now, as silly as that sounds, and sometimes I'll count from 10 to 1, and with every number, I just focus on making my hand heavier and heavier. What that does unhooks me from the panic that I feel when I get that first sign. For me, I start feeling the ringing in my ears. And it really just sort of interrupts this runaway train. So a simple thing like that is really helpful. So maybe it's taking three breaths or making your hand heavy. You know, what I don't do actually is I don't use distractions. So I don't say, okay, so I'm going to talk about five things that I see or four things that I hear and three things. I don't do that. I really focus very consciously saying, I'm going to shift this reaction in my body by just allowing things to slow down a little bit. So that's another thing that I do. And then this is the advanced technique when you get a little confidence about this and you learn about it, is that I look for opportunities to practice. When my ears start to ring, because that's the first thing that I notice, I say to myself, oh, great, my ears are ringing, so now I have an opportunity to stay with this, I get curious. I start asking questions. If you watch the funny and faint video, that's exactly what I'm talking about. But I had somebody come in and they had fallen while skateboarding, compound fracture of her arm, needed surgery. She comes in and says, oh my gosh, look what happened to my arm. I say, oh my gosh, tell me what happened. Show me the scars. That takes a lot of courage. I feel pretty good about it, but could I say to you guys, I'll never do this again? Absolutely not, right? I mean, I know that this is a thing that I do. I am stepping into it in a way that's the opposite of the avoidance and the panic and the resistance that I used to have 
when I didn't really know what was going on. So how much do you think these techniques are effective? Because there was a period in your life where you felt the sensation of your ears ringing that created panic in you. Now, when you hear your ears ringing, you're like, oh, hello, ears ringing. Yeah. Always remember, like whenever we have these kind of reactions, people will say to me, oh, it just happens just like that. Right. I hear that a lot. People will say, oh, she goes from zero to 100 and nothing flat or it happens just like that. I really want to slow it down and begin to notice the steps. So, yeah, that's exactly right. When my ears would start to ring, particularly I was in an environment usually like I don't do it by myself generally. So I would be in a professional environment. I worked in a freaking hospital, right? I had it come close happening when I'm talking to clients. So when that feeling would show up and when I was young, it was often in social situations. It happened in a vet's office. That's quite a story, actually. When the ringing comes up in my ears, that's me shifting my reaction. That's me interrupting the, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, which is the way this thing really gets going. It is also not a big deal. If you are learning how to manage this, get down. If you feel like you're going to pass out, if you feel like these symptoms are coming on, get your head below your feet because you can still practice it. You can still work on it, but actually passing out, you know, I mean, you can bang your head, of course, but also it just is a hassle. Like everybody freaks out. And you have to quote my husband's best line ever. (laughs) Yes. When we were at the movies? Yes. yes. We were at the movies and he disappeared. And I knew where he went because I knew what was on the, I knew what was happening during the movie. It was during Steel Magnolias. Yeah. <laughs> it was during Steel Magnolias. We were young. So he disappears. He starts like getting antsy in his seat. If you're one of these people, you, you recognize it when you see it. Plus, I know him. So he disappears. He doesn't come back. He doesn't come back. He doesn't come back. So I'm like, oh, God, I got to go find him. So I got into the lobby. He's sitting on the lobby floor with his back up against the wall under the water fountain, I remember. And I go up to him and I go, hey, hey. And I look at him. I know what's going on. And he looks at me and he goes, if I faint, which I'm going to, and then he just lost consciousness. It was the best. (laughs) (laughs) He was very matter of fact about it. But he just says to me, if I faint, which I'm going to, and then he It was so funny. We still laugh about that. Robin and I travel a lot. And part of traveling is that you learn that you have to compromise, right? So maybe you're not going to get the best seat on the plane. Well, you know where you shouldn't compromise? You shouldn't compromise with your health care. When it comes to your health, there's no compromising, everybody. Don't go back to that one doctor who didn't really pay attention to you, who rushed you through your appointments. Check out ZocDoc. This is the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, insurance, so literally no compromises here. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. You don't have to wait. You don't have to be on hold with a receptionist. These doctors all have verified reviews from real patients. So 
The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is just between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. I have two young adult sons. They are always needing something, right? We've had broken elbows. We've had tonsils. We've had this. We've had that. If I were a young person, if I were a parent trying to help my young person find a doctor, this is what I would use. So, Go to ZocDoc.com slash Fluster and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Fluster. ZocDoc.com slash Fluster. If you are a mom who's trying to keep your calendar organized, keep your family's appointments where they need to be, then I'll tell you, the Skylight Calendar is a product that you ought to check out. You know how it is. Running a household can be pure chaos and it can be so stressful. This is why you need to check out the Skylight Calendar. It is going to make your life easier, mom. It really is. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar and organizer for all your chores, groceries, to-do lists and a great way to manage appointments to make sure they never overlap and they're never missed. It helps keep busy households on track so families can get time back for moments that really matter. The Skylight Calendar is so easy to use and to set up. It's not going to frustrate you. You're going to be able to get it going within minutes. It syncs events from other family calendars, including Google, Apple, Outlook, you can add events directly using the touchscreen or with the free Skylight mobile app. Updates to linked calendars will automatically appear on the Skylight calendar at home. So no more worrying that you guys are going to forget something. No more cluttered paper calendars. It shows all family events together in one spot. The events are color-coded so you can easily see what everyone has going on each week. When the calendar's not in use, you can turn it into a digital picture frame. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love the Skylight calendar, you'll receive a full refund. They offer a 120-day money-back guarantee and free returns. You can't beat it. I think the feature that I love most is the collaborative way we can all add to the grocery list. And then when I'm ready to place an online order, whether I'm at home or my office, I have that list and there's no more items that we forget. So as a special time-limited offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash flusterclucks. Mother's Day is coming right up. So order today to get 15% off your purchase at skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. Humor is important with this because mm-hmm. I do think there's a potential if someone does this more often and the family can really embrace these funny stories, mm-hmm. it just really helps minimize the fear about it too. Yeah. And if you know what it is, I mean, that's really the point I really want to emphasize is that if you know what this is and you know that you do it, the fear about it, the avoidance of it, the resistance to it, that's what makes it so powerful. It's like anything with anxiety. It's not about the sensation. It's about the resistance to the sensation. So if you know it's going to happen, just do the things you need to do 
I'm to the point where if I go and give blood, which I never would have done earlier in my years, but on purpose, I will go give blood. I do not tell the people that I'm a fainter. I don't give them that information. I sit there. I ask questions. I watch when they're doing it. But remember, like I'm an advanced person in dealing with this. Could it still happen to me? Absolutely. But if you are at the beginning stages of this, just being matter of fact about it and just knowing what it is and knowing what you need to do really takes away its power. Because that's the thing. It's okay that you do this. It's just that it gets so powerful when you don't know what it is. That's really the key. Let's just emphasize that the framework for what you're describing is really no different than the ability to detach from our powerful emotional reactions Mm -hmm. and acknowledge when they show up too. Right. And a combination just because like panic attacks and this fainting might feel kind of in the more advanced reaction department, but having that information, expecting it to show up, trying to intervene with those first physical symptoms and signs when they show up. Mm-hmm. And the know that the family ideally is going to be laughing about it later mm-hmm. on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Right? It means that when it shows up, you can give it an eye roll. That's right. Which is what the goal is if we catastrophize about anxious movies playing in our head. We want to give it an eye roll and say, I'm not into it. That's right. Sort of my motto about this thing now is if I faint, I faint. And do I want to? No, I don't want to. Virtually every time that it's happened, it's been embarrassing. So I don't want to have it happen. I don't want to have it happen, but it, it happens sometimes. I will tell you about these experiences that we've had. It's like the hardest that I've laughed in my life. Yeah, it's, it's definitely like pee in your pants laughter oh, for yeah. the family for years to come. My brother, your husband, is so funny. I mean, he's really like one of the funniest people ever. And he's got this dry sense of humor. And when he tells the stories, seriously, he could tell the story every day and I would laugh. They're just so funny. And I think that really, <laughs> really helps us. I mean, they really are ridiculous. Sometimes right after it happens, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good story. You know, this reminds me of something else that happens with one of my kids. We fly a lot. My son has a tendency that if we have a flight before 8 a.m., he will always throw up at the airport. Mm -hmm. It's a digestive thing. Like if we have to wake him up at 5 a.m., there's something about it that by the time he gets to the airport, he's just green and he Mm -hmm. has to throw up. And I think this is an interesting example where the body has this kind of reaction. It's not anxiety-based, but thank goodness he didn't develop an anxious culture around it. Mm -hmm. When he throws up, we handle it really matter-of-factly. Don't make a big deal. Are you okay? Are you okay? It's actually, he's such a pro now. He will walk by a trash can, puke in it, and keep on walking. Mm -hmm. It's just normalized. We expect it. It's like, this is what your body does. Right. And we experimented with like, have a bagel at this point, or don't drink too much water or Mm -hmm. whatever. And I think that when we know that we do these things, what did you just say? If I faint, I faint. If I faint, I faint. If I puke, I puke. Right. It's the resistance of it. It reminds me of with kids that are prone to motion sickness, so car sickness. If a family develops a routine that they know that if they're on a drive over a certain amount of time that the child is probably going to throw up, there are certain things that they can do to mitigate it, you know, don't read in the car, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
And so they just sort of are matter of fact about it. I also know families where somebody is going to get sick in the car. And so there becomes a lot of anticipatory anxiety about it. Oh my gosh, what if I get sick? I can't do it. It can go in two different directions for sure. Yep. That's a very good example because you could be like, oh my gosh, what if he throws up and we have to do this? And what about this? And we have to, and then it just becomes a whole thing. The puking itself takes about probably like 23 seconds, right? But think about all the anticipation and all the worry and all the time you would spend if you made that a big deal. There, there have been times where he's just like puking, sitting at the gate in like a little bag I knew to have ready. And all these people around us are like, what is going on with your son? And I must look so callous because I'm like, oh, it's just something he does. Oh, he's just a puker. <laughs> he's just a puker on morning flights. I know. But if you have that attitude about it, it shifts it. You know, we're having this conversation in response to the session that we did last time with a family where this did become a huge thing based on them not knowing what was going on. And it sort of has spiraled. If your family does this and our family does this, been so, so helpful to just sort of know that it happens. Lynn, if someone wanted to be really mean to you, if they they would just send you x-rays, right? I could tell you, like, if you want to make me pass out, if that's really your goal, it really is somebody talking to me about it. That's the thing that gets me. So it's a description. If you watch the video of I'm funny and I'm faint, that's what happens. He brought in his x-rays of his dislocated shoulder, but it really is people talking to me about it. Bones. Isn't that weird? That's what it's come down to. Blood and all that kind of stuff. No big deal at all. A little pus, man, I'm all in. But broken bones, blah. What do we think is the best faint, the fainting circumstance in the family of fainters? Well, I mean, there is that... (laughs) Again, it goes back to my brother. Was he in third grade? I think he was in third grade. And somebody came to visit his classroom who was blind, who was helping educate these third graders about how you go through the world blind and telling them what he does and how he manages. And some little boy next to my brother raises his hands and says, how did you go blind? And my brother just went, out. Yeah, I think he told me that story fairly recently. I hadn't heard it and I did wet my pants when he told me that. (laughs) We were at uh, our parents' house sitting outside and oh my God, I I laughed. Such, it was just like the best, the best laughing. I fainted at the vets. My little kitty fudgy who I loved, I had her from when I was seven to when I was 25. I must have been either in graduate school or college. I came home and her back legs were sort of going out on her. We didn't know why. So my mom and I took her to the emergency vet place, which right away, like I'm on, you know, all antenna up emergency vet place. What am I going to see? So my mom's in the waiting room. I am in the office with Fudgy just, you know, holding her. The vet comes in, does a little preliminary examination. My heart is already pounding because it was bad in a lot of ways. And the vet comes in, does a little preliminary examination and says, hang on, we'll take her to x-ray and just make sure there's nothing dislocated, right? Dislocated. So I go, okay, I'm waiting. And all of a sudden I hear out in the hall, all of this yelling and people rushing around and they're saying things like, oh my God, quick, get some towels, get some towels. Oh my gosh, what a mess. Oh no. Oh, quick, go. Right. Here comes the ringing in my ears. I'm imagining some horrible thing is happening. I'm an emergency vet place. 
So I'm holding on to Fudgy. The vet comes by, pops her head in and says, oh, so sorry for the delay. The washer machine overflowed in the hallway. <laughs> and so there's all this soap and stud. So we're just trying to clean that up. So I go, oh, okay, thanks. Right. Not saying like, hey, I'm about to pass out. I just go like, oh, okay, thanks. And she goes away. Now you would think with that very important piece of information that I would be like, okay, great. I don't have to pass out. Oh no. Oh no. The train had left the station. So I am holding Fudgy with my head down between my knees, trying to keep it together. They come in, they take Fudgy to x-ray, don't notice that I am barely conscious. I got on my hands and knees and I crawled down the hall (laughs) toward the waiting room where I knew my mother was waiting. So, And it was one of those slatted doors so she could sort of see through. So she's sitting there like reading her Us Weekly magazine (laughs) and she looks up and here I come like crawling literally on my hands and knees trying to get to her. And I reach up and I open the door and I go, mom. And then boom, I pass out. I just wish I had a camera on your mom. Yeah, She doesn't do this. And it's just like, here it is. Again. Yeah, She's like you with your son puking in the airport, right? Like whatever. So I'm coming to, because I, I come back to consciousness and I can hear people saying like, oh my gosh, is she okay? And I can hear my mom being like, yeah, 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 she's fine. (laughs) So Fudgy was fine. I don't know. We don't know what was wrong with her. She lived for like several more years after that. We're driving home in the car and my mom says, okay, so what was it? What got you? And I was like, well, um, I don't know. This is either a high point or a low point, depending on your perspective here. But I passed out because the washer machine overflowed. And she was just like, (laughs) oh my God. How did I manage to create a brood of these crazy people? (laughs) Well, you heard the phrase like, get a bunch of towels. Oh, yeah. No, I was totally primed. I was totally primed that I I was going to see something awful because you're an emergency vet place. So I was totally primed that some dog would gotten hit by a car or something. So everything was on high alert. And when they started yelling like that, I wasn't thinking soap studs. I was thinking like entrails. I wasn't thinking <laughs> I wasn't thinking that the machine was overflowing. I was thinking that some little chihuahua had just been put in the wood chipper or something. It was bad. I have a good imagination. Off it went. When you saw the Brady Bunch episode where Bobby puts too much soap in the washer dryer yeah. and it overflows. Yeah. Did you do okay with that? Yeah, that was well before this happened. Probably when this happened, it wasn't like I was 12. I was... 21, 22. So if you do this, you're really not alone. You're really not alone. And I gotcha, people. I gotcha. If anyone in the family has these like weird physical reactions, embrace it with the culture of comedy. Yeah. And just don't make a big deal about it. Yeah. My son broke his arm and I took him to the doctor, not even thinking that this was going to happen because I hadn't done it in years and years and years. We didn't know his arm was broken. I passed out at the pediatrician's office when he started describing to me what bones were out of place. I told him I was going down so nobody freaked out. And then we had to bring him to radiology. I was in the wheelchair and he was walking next to me. The mother was in the wheelchair and the little six-year-old with the broken arm was walking next to me. When I got to radiology, the technician was like saying to me like, okay, so which arm is it? And my son was like, I'm the one with a broken arm. Yeah, terrible, humiliating, embarrassing. So everybody join the Facebook group so that you can get all the information about our 2022 events first. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. 
Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.